Amen. All the people loving the Lord now. I'll pay particular attention now. I won't waste any words here. If you have your Bibles, just have them in your hand. And if you'll turn to 1 Samuel 17 and then wait for me for a moment, I would be so grateful for that. I will assume that all of you have time to talk to the Lord throughout the week and that you do spend time with God. I talk to the Lord um, not always in peril, but that's also a good time to speak to him when you're in trouble. But I spoke to the Lord and my spirit was stirred within me. Now, this is a, a difficult term for a secularist to understand, but my spirit was stirred in me. And I said out of my mouth, I lost a little something along the way, Lord, and I, I need to get it back. I lost a little something along the way. I, I need to get it back. And he opened up the scripture to me and he showed me something afresh. But in the refreshing came the new. He showed me the engagement of the refresh and the undiscovered. It was the joining of his once again word and then his undisclosed, now revealed word. It's a beautiful thing. Because his word is without exhaustion. Everybody with me here? His word is without exhaustion. So in the refreshing also comes the new. Something you've not known. It's so easy to miss the unknown or the revelation because you are familiar with the story that you've been told. Hmm. Now, I want to be careful. I believe the Lord will speak to you in whatever means or way that you allow him. Please consider this very carefully because I don't want to sound condescending in my next few remarks or even in this word. But I don't know if all of us today can understand what I'm about to preach, there's a depth here that goes beyond the surface. Uh, Paul wrote to the church in Corinth and, and, and he said, we speak wisdom among them that are perfect or mature. Not the wisdom of the world. In, in verse 7 of 1 Corinthians, he said, we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory. So there are things that the Spirit speaks to us. They're hidden wisdoms. And there's a maturity that you have to have to understand it. Now, if you're not there yet, hang on, you'll get there. Whatever way you receive it, rejoice in it. But if, you, but if you go deep, 
you'll find something that you didn't know before. So don't assume that you know it. Because the Spirit will reveal something to you that He won't reveal to anyone else. It'll be for you. He's a very specific God. He knows your name. He knows your past. He knows your future. He knows your present. He knows your issues. He's concerned with you. He visits the funeral of one sparrow that falls. How much more? He knows who you are and where you've come from. He knows exactly what you need today. When you walked in here, he knew what you needed even though you don't really know what you need. You may not even understand what you really need from God. And you might be praying amiss, but the Lord is so gracious to you. He knows exactly what you need and he's come with the answer even though you don't even have the request. Oh, please, please, I hope this doesn't sound bad. You can't even help yourself. <laughs> I, 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 couldn't, I wanted to help myself. I couldn't help myself. I better read the scripture. I'll just cry and then dance and you won't even know what I'm doing up here. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to cry a little bit. I'm going to dance. And you can all just watch me. Because the sermon is from here to here. I'll just let you listen in. 1 Samuel 17 verse 8. I'm, I'm, I'm jumping into the narrative. I'm jumping into this construct. He stood and cried unto the armies of Israel. He said unto them, Why are ye come out to set your battle in array? Am not I a Philistine, and ye servants of Saul? Choose you a man for you, and let him come down to me. If he be able to fight with me, and to kill me, then we, hear the declaration, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then shall ye be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. <laughs> I was not involved, but the outcome belonged to me. I preach vicarious, and the Lord is going to help us. Now lift up your voices with me one more time. Father, we love you. Come on, pray the anointing of the Holy Ghost. I want you to pray that the Lord will anoint you to hear the word today. Do that in Jesus' name. Come on, everybody, in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, Jesus. The anointing of the Holy Ghost. Let the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Come on, we're going to make this. This is not an exercise of tradition. This is, we implore you, O oh Lord, be here in this house. We cannot afford to waste this time. Father, now we pray, Lord Jesus, you've got to help us, Lord. Yes, yes, yes. Amen.
Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. And why don't we just give God praise one more time when you're seated? Would you do that with all of your heart? Come on up with all of your heart. Out of your mouth, would you give him praise? Our great God. Hallelujah, Jesus. Come on, somebody shout it out to God where you're sitting. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. We're going to do that again. Sometimes we get, we get focused on our, on our physical position, but the Bible says that when they received the Holy Ghost, that the Holy Ghost was poured out where they were sitting. The first outpouring of the Holy Ghost came when they were sitting. Now, they may have been tired. I do not know. They might have been praying for seven days. I'm not sure. But you can receive the Holy Ghost where you're sitting, and you can be healed where you're sitting. You can run. You can jump. You can dance. You can stand. But you can get it right where you're sitting. Yes. We'll break some format around here so we can have a move the Holy Ghost. We're not going to get bound in a format. He's not enamored with our format. I don't even know if I should start preaching yet because I think we got to get out of our format. It's Sunday morning, but you might as well act like it's Sunday night. Now what? This is going to sound really, this is going to sound real ugly. It's going to sound real ugly. I'm looking at a bunch of helpless people here. Inept. Miserable. Contradictory. Filled with hypocrisy. Just give me a moment here. In what is not a commonality among our image-based era, engrossed with the persistence of success, and what doesn't always manifest itself in the way we might assume, are these expectations of some future endeavor, position, perhaps. They run so high. Childhood is a blink. Youth is fleeting. And then responsibilities land like lead weights from above. Whatever hopes there might have been are forced into a face-to-face reality with bills and cars and the grind. One particular father told a story. He said that he grew up with parents who farmed. They had animals and livestock and some crops. He wanted to play football, but The work around the farm consumed those days. It bled into the night. So when he finally had his own family, he had three sons and a daughter. He taught his children the game of football. And then the story changed to just one son who now relayed the rest of that story. That 
He was the only one among the brothers that actually liked the game. He, he said, Dad spent more time with me because he saw himself rather than, than me and my brothers. Like the great majority of these stories, he submitted that his father wanted him to be a great football player because he could not be. The proposed success, the hope never materialized for his dad. He was, so he was just living vicariously through his son. And he has company and a lot of it. The explosion of little girls' beauty pageants is said to have damaged almost an entire generation of now young mothers, 30-year-old women, 40-year-old women, who grew up with, with the trappings of sparkles, mothers, lived out their ambitions through their little girls, hairspray, glitter, colorful makeup, and glue-on eyelashes. The seven-year-old is often fed sugary substance to hype them up before the pageant begins. In time, they struggle with self-esteem. These little girls grow up struggling with eating disorders and a number of internal conflicts because they never had to worry about what they ate before. When they hit their teenage years and then their young mother's years, they're not like the little pretty girls. Life often leaves them a little heavier in weight and less talented than their mothers told them that they would be. They're not the princess that their mothers told them that they would be, that they are. The vicarious parent is often found in education where because there's so much desire to be educated that the parent now impresses upon their children the need for education, it becomes overboard where there's almost no social interaction, no social intelligence, just books and books and more education until finally they become reclusive. They know certain trivial facts, but they cannot relate to society or life. They don't know how to do their laundry. They can't even look up. In fact, in some of our institutions, we were told that some of the great minds and engineers can't really make eye-to-eye contact with anybody because their parents have been living vicariously through them in education. And then comes music and sports and business and even proposed ministries. Oh, my. I wonder how many have been called to a pulpit by a father that had regret or a pride-filled mother. They wanted to be it, but they couldn't. Something happened along the way. Vicarious began long ago, even before all the things that I've mentioned. And I've gone very quickly. Living or moving through another, that was what they did. It, it, mean that you, it means that you wanted to do something, but you could not. You were unable. What was outside of your opportunities or ability was accomplished through someone else. It's not a new or a modern thought. In fact, it began in ancient times. It had nothing to do with beauty pageants in those times. It's been cast in all kinds of motifs and paintings and sculptures. Antonio Colinio painted the pivotal fight between Achilles and Hector. The Iliad featured some lonesome encounters on the battlefield. Nations waiting with bated breath duels were often offered in order to bypass the bloodshed of the thousands of would-be soldiers slain on the battlefield. Robert the Bruce, you can look it up, and Henry de Bohan, he did it too. They fought so that they could keep the armies from fighting. My Amido Masashi was said to have won 60 battles as the people moved with him, albeit standing on the sidelines, hoping that he would win. He was a great swordsman. 
They called it the single battle or the single combat duel. Two warriors, two single warriors stood in the middle of the armies to determine the fate of their respective people. The 14th century will see the last of these duels ending at the Battle of Lupin, but the concept never ceased. Then it was a contest of consequence. Men on either side put their hopes and dreams in the hands of a single man. If their warrior lost, they lost. In fact, they were slaves or servants to the opposing side. But if he won, they found their victory in a battle they did not fight, but it belonged to them. And they would often call it a vicarious victory. Because they didn't fight it. They didn't pick up the sword. They didn't have a shield in their hand. Their life was not on the line like the warrior's life was on the line. But their outcome was all based on what he did and what he didn't do. If he would take a knee or fall down, they gasp in fear. If he rose up and he had the strength, they were shouting and they were jumping on the sidelines because their fate and their future lasted and was in the hands of one man. Hmm. I suppose that it happens when, when there's no determined outcome. When my ability is, is known as being inept. And I admit that I'm not able when my hope for success cannot be given to me by my own hand. I know that. I see it. I lost something along the way. I had to give it back. First Samuel 17 is a standalone chapter. It's, it's oddly placed. It follows no construct of the prior chapter. There's no bridge, either narratively or in timeline. Just that old familiar foe gathering again. The Philistines have taken their place. And in response, King Saul and the armies of Israel will do the same. Opposing mountains tethered by a wide open valley. The Bible says that Saul set the battle in array. That's your Bible. And that's as far as he got. It was the setup. Fires and tents. Men sitting by ranks and companies. Horses with plumed headpieces and shimmering chest plates. The lot of them marshaled and orchestrated splendor, but still just an array. It seems so often to be the most comfortable position of God's people. The array is far different than movement. Many are in presentation, but far are in operation. Far fewer, they do not operate. Because it's one thing to declare yourself, but the engagement is altogether different. And King Saul and the army of Israel are now set up, and yet it means nothing, just arrayed, but yet in dismay. The provocation of the Philistines is before them. They have summoned their great warrior, and in response, the deficit glares like a stubborn child with his hands on his hips. Israel has no warrior. Who shall we choose for the single combat duel? Who will fight for us? Followed by a silent, perhaps murmured muse. The Philistines had a proven champion standing over nine feet tall. His body armor was as heavy as a man and he defied the ranks of Israel's most esteemed fighting men. Yes, well, in array, they were all there. They look good, but only for a moment. The pomp and theatrics, even ritual, looks good, but their placement could not hide the chill of the challenge from the other side. The other side 
It always comes with accusations and intimidation and rebuke. It exposes my limitations. It reveals my deepest fears as if it had been reading my mind. The other side has come with anger against me while I struggle with self-doubt and insecurity. There is a giant after me. He's greater than me and I know it. He reminds me of my own infractions and my weaknesses and in fact my past is ever before me. The things that cannot be cloaked from my mind. He is well aware of that. He's documented. He has kept a record of wrongs for me to, for me to consider. The enemy has come always to kill and to steal and destroy. He is without pity or remorse and I am the center of his attention and purpose. The Bible calls him the accuser of the brethren and he is a spirit. And I can feel the bewilderment of King Saul huddling in his royal tent. He looks good from afar, but there is a tenor of distress in his voice. None of his fighting men have offered themselves. The best he has will look away. Saul is without help. He is a displaced leader clinging to a temporal scepter. Say what you want about him. He was still the anointed king of Israel. He's he just run out of answers. And I've been there and you've been there. So before I besmirch him completely and wipe him away... I have to consider him and consider myself. Our harsh judgment against Saul has been misplaced because it's easy to disregard the plank in our own eye. Pride has filled the heart of both the called and the lost. We are not immune to heart issues. Many people in this house have heart issues. And there's so much more I want to preach here. It's about David and Goliath. It's the embedded children's storyline. I had to hear it afresh. I've known the story from, from my youth up, my childhood, a very little boy. It was one of the first stories that my Sunday school, Sunday school teacher taught me. One of the first things I could remember about church. That as I get a little older and the world gets a little darker and the pressing becomes a little tighter. I needed to be not only refreshed, but I needed to hear something new. And you may not understand what I'm about to preach here, but all I can tell you is that until you've been caught in a sinking boat and had to come to reality of his mere presence and it was enough, that was because he was there. You were never going down until you've been there. You thought you were going to die, but you looked around and just saw that he was there and all of your work trying to get all the water out of your boat, it was for naught anyway because you were never going down, but you didn't know that. Until you understood that just because he was there, you were okay. And that your efforts were always meager. You won't get it. Until you come to grips that all of your doing really did not matter without his touch. But because he touched you and he raised you up, then you thought you were okay, but you are not okay without him. Until he reduced you to the level, inversely, to his glory. And that's difficult for people to, to grasp. He's got to reduce you so his glory can be, can be big because it's an inverse mechanism. The smaller that you get, the more glory that he has. The reason is simple. Because I know my limitations and the boldness that I walk in today and every day. It's not my boldness and the authority that courses through my veins when I pick up this pulpit. And when I speak the word of the Lord like a torrent stream, I stand to tell you that it's not mine. Insights and sometimes revelations and spiritual triumphs, all of it builds up reaching a confidence in the unseen realm. I tell you today, it's not mine. I did not own it. I did not produce it. The simple truth is it's not mine. I'm in it. I live in it. I walk in it. But it does not really belong to me it was God's I have a victorious victory and a victorious strength because it came 
vicariously. Here's the definition. Vicarious living is as if you were living through someone else. You're living through their actions and their deeds and what they have done. Vicarious victory is when you and I are standing on the sidelines and something's being done on our behalf and we didn't even know it was being done on our behalf and what you didn't know was that when you woke up this morning and you had a little strength in your body and you had a little strength in your hands if you woke up this morning and you had a little bit of a clear mind and you went about your day I gotta rise to say to somebody you're living in vicarious victory it wasn't your victory but it was his victory help me now a little bit See, until you realize your limitations, you're going to think that it was you, but it was not you that entered the battlefield. It wasn't your strength, but it was the Lord's strength. No. No, don't, don't get trapped in the shallow waters here. Those are too easy waters. Because the prob- problem isn't church folks do not like they do, we do not like to expose our hypocrisies. We don't ever talk about what we did wrong. No one ever walks around and says, I'm a sinner, saved by grace. In fact, when the Lord brings us out, we try to stay out and never go back, and we don't want to tell anybody what, what, what happened to us. You got to listen real closely when you hear people testify. Because some people are trying to tell you where they came from, but you're just kind of glossing over. You don't know the stain that the world put on them and the corruption that they put on them. I got a little be a bold. I got to be bold here. Some of people have walked in here. They've been misused, abused, and molested. And they really have no business being in the church because they didn't have any ability to get in the church or be saved. And the battle that needed to be won, they couldn't win it because they didn't have the fortitude to win it. In fact, they're filled with regrets and nightmares and and issues and all kinds of complexes. But there was a battlefield that was taking place and a warrior and a single combat duel that did it for you. When, when, when Saul looked at, at his men and he looked for the well-trained, he found no one. Nobody came. Nobody came forward. All the skilled men that had all the tools, they didn't come forward. Why is it that people who have all the tools, they don't present themselves? No one presented themselves. He could not figure it out. He couldn't make it. He couldn't push anyone out there. He wasn't about to push anyone out. He knew that the fate of the nation rests in the hands of one man. There's already been a challenge made. He's trying to find somebody. In fact, he even made a bargain with someone. You'll get, you'll get my daughter, Michael. You'll get a bunch of riches. You'll get all the stuff. If you go out and fight and win, I'll give you everything. I'll give you all the kingdom. I'll give you the bride. If you win, I'll give you the bride. <laughs> Nobody comes until a shepherd came to the rescue. And no one regarded the shepherd. The enemy had accusations. It was a glaring display of reality of superiority. But Israel had a shepherd. Who knew both then and now it was going to take a shepherd to give us the victory that we could not give ourselves.
It took a shepherd to give you what you could not give yourself and do for yourself. All their array set up was a pale attempt for self-justification. But when David picked up those stones and came in the name of the Lord, he was taken on the battle of the nation. He put the needs of the people on his back. And he carried him them on his back all the way to victory. The armies of Israel, they looked good. And the king looked good. But they were just looking on. And the people wandered. But they were just looking on. The victory rested in the hands of a shepherd. Because it always has rested in the hands of the shepherd. Their victory came vicariously through the king to come. It was a vicarious victory. I'm, 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 this is me. I don't know where you're at. This is me. Oh God. I need help Lord. And he comes and helps me. And I feel so good. It's a triumph. It's a victory. But I know that couldn't have been me. That couldn't have been me. How could it be? Nice job. That was good. You did well. Oh no. What you don't know is that it was already fought before I showed up. What you don't know is that the victory was already given to me before I, I, I stood up. I've been on the sidelines. I've been looking on hoping. Let the shepherd do his work. Let the king do his work. I'm not alone in this. Paul wrote it. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. What are you talking about? He did not get up on the cross. Jesus was on the cross. I'm living. But it's not me. It's Christ that's living. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me. And he gave himself for me. I'm crucified with Christ, but I'm still alive. Not I, Christ is living. When he won, I won. When he won, you won. When he overcame, I overcame. When he overcame, you overcame. When he triumphed, we triumphed. I'm standing here today with the victory, not because I bested the giant. I did not. Not because I was strong or stronger, better or best. In fact, I am openly admitting to doubt and weakness. I'm openly admitted to it. And thank God, Paul gave me some cover. Paul said, I prayed three times, but there is something in me that buffeted me. God sent something in me. It was a thorn, and he wouldn't take it out. And the thorn made Paul weak. It made him, it made him shrivel. It made him kind of, kind of recoil backwards and he prayed and he prayed Paul had all the answers he laid on Eutychus and brought him back to life he prayed in a Roman jail and the earthquake came but when it came to himself he could not help himself and Jesus replied this my strength is made perfect in your weakness the literal wording is this my strength is perfected in the acknowledgement that you are weak I'm going to tell you about the shepherd of my life he defeated the enemy and the reason why I stand here and rejoice in the victory is because it came from the Lord. I was not involved in it. But he gave it to me. Even the prayers that I need. Some are prayed by my wife. 
others by my family members, many by the saints. But when it comes to my soul, when I need an intervention that no one can pronounce, the Bible says it like this, Likewise the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for us, for, for as we ought, or for ourselves. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. When I sit in darkness, he'll be a light to me. When I am in discouragement, he's the lifter of my head. When I need a prayer that no one else can pray and I don't even know the words to say, the Spirit rises up and says, I'll enter the battlefield. I've got a sword and I can speak it. And the Spirit itself makes intercession for me with groanings that no one can understand. It's a vicarious prayer. It's a vicarious victory. His resurrection becomes my glory. I was not there, but the outcome has belonged to me. I rise to say to everybody, I don't know where you came from. I don't know where you're going to, but I know this one thing. If you have any victory today, it's because the Lord gave you the victory. You did not enter the battlefield and you could not do it. I want you to obey the scripture to be buried. This is the, this is the gospel. Death, burial, resurrection. Repent, baptism in the in the water and baptism in the spirit that's what the lord said that's what he said in john chapter 3 that's just the bible but when you get done with all of that just know this for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is the gift of god lest any man should boast so if you got any boasting to be, be had today do not tell me that you were born in the church don't tell me about your accomplishments tell me that one day that was a shepherd that got on the field Somebody ought to boast in the Lord. I was low and I was down and I could not pick myself up. This is what the Bible says. That in the last days perilous times shall come. And then Paul lists all the atrocities and debauchery of the last days. We're talking about horrible things, whoremongers and murders and liars and thieves and all the things. And then inserted right in the middle of all that mess comes the word unthankful. Go figure that he would put the unthankful right next to the murderer. Who would compute that the unthankful is an indication of the last days? If there ought to be a thankful people, it ought to be people who are in the church that were blood-bought and helped and God rescued. Thankfulness ought to begin here. Am I right? Enter his gates with thanksgiving. You don't get into its courts until you enter the gates with thanksgiving. We ought not be depressed. It doesn't matter what happened to you this week or last week or what your past was. A battle has already taken place long before you got. When you came to be, a battle had already been taken place and the Lord's already fought the battle and won the victory. With his stripes, you are healed. It means that before you were born, there was healing already present for your life. And before you got here, there was a help already present for your life. You couldn't do anything without the Lord because he brought it and he bought it and he helped you.
know how church folks are? They get very uncomfortable when the pastor starts talking about his own hypocrisies. People get very uncomfortable when the pastor starts talking about his own fears and doubts. Now it is true that I've never had bad breath in my life and I wake up with my hair combed like this. And I'm always wearing a suit. It is true. I like what Paul said. We are men of like passions. We got all the trouble you got. They were trying to build a monument in Iconium. And Paul said, hold on a second. I know what you're trying to do, but let me just tell you, we got some issues in our own lives. But we found somebody. We found a shepherd. We found our victory in Jesus Christ. And some, some things the enemy doesn't know. Even though he's been around for a long time, he still doesn't know. And one of the great things that the enemy doesn't know and he'll never know because the Lord, I believe, hides it from him is that the Lord defines the battle itself and that the Lord sets the terms. You, you can join me in this, in this consternation wondering about that because sometimes it looks like he didn't know it was going to happen. I, I'm watching it happen and I'm asking the Lord, were you aware of this, Lord? <laughs> Let me just tell you, the Lord never asks a question. He doesn't already know the answer. In fact, perhaps he doesn't even ask the question for an answer. It's so that you could come to the realization that you got an issue. <laughs> and you do have an issue. Is that okay? I think I've undersold that. You have many issues. <laughs> You're sitting by people who have a lot of issues. You know who they are. Just don't talk about the issues. You got problems. Some of you are sitting by people. They're 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 cuckoo for cocoa puffs. They got they got issues. They got, got anger issues. A little angry elf walking around here. We got. You know, there's people in this house, and you know them. You're married to them. You are one of them, maybe. You try to hide your issues with different things, you know. You've got a lot of fear. That's why, you, that's why you got, you're driving a four-wheeler. I don't, I don't know. People get nervous about this. As if somehow the anointing has removed the struggle. It doesn't remove the struggle. Saul was anointed but didn't move the struggle. Now he could have repented but he didn't. He could have changed his way and humbled himself but he didn't. Just because you're anointed and you're called out doesn't mean you're not going to struggle. You are going to struggle. Just because you've received the Lord in your life doesn't mean that you're not going to be sick or have fear or doubt. Problems. You're going to have problems. Nobody's perfect. In fact, the church is not perfect. In fact, this church is filled with imperfect people. So if you're one of the perfected people, this is not the house for you. This house is filled with a lot of people that, that are struggling every day just to get up. But don't, don't worry about what we look like. This is just an array. Just lights and sounds and, 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 and fabrics. Don't, look, don't worry about that. It's not the array because a lot of people look like they got power. They have no power because they, they will not engage. Oh, oh, no. It was good until that moment right there, wasn't it? 
when I was just talking about my, my problems and my, my issues. But I, I, I've asked the Lord, where are you, Lord? Do you know this is taking place? Can you, can, can you intervene here? And, the, and I don't even see, but the, I don't see what he's doing, but, but he sets the terms. It, it, it might even look to me like the enemy is in control, but the Lord always sets the terms. And while Saul, the king, was fearful, and the armies of Israel were afraid, and though the story had yet to be written and Goliath had yet to be introduced, God had already set the terms. I just missed it. I missed it because I'm waiting on, I'm waiting on David to pick up stones. I'm waiting on Saul to offer his armor, and I'm waiting on David to draw the mighty sword of Goliath and sever his head and lift up his head and that gaping mouth and tongue and sinew and flesh dripping down. I can go farther, but it'd make you sick. No, no, no. The Lord had already set the terms for that battle. See, it happened in verse 1 of 1 Samuel 17. And I didn't even know. I didn't even know. I'm struggling with my own life. I didn't even know. <laughs> I didn't know that the victory had already been settled in the first verse. Some obscure location. The enemy doesn't even know where they're at. He doesn't even know what he's doing. Because the Philistines, the Bible says, they camped in a place that belonged to Judah. I'm just going to tell you, if the enemy is willing to walk into your praise... That's the first reason for you to remove fear. He's already on shaky ground. Because he's set up in the middle of your praise. Now, if you're not praising, he's got a stronghold. <laughs> but as long as you're praising, wherever he's at, he's on the territory that belongs to Judah. Because the Bible says Judah means praise. I'm in the middle of trouble. What do you do? Don't call your best friend and... I don't know who Pete is, but for Pete's sake, do not post it online. Stand up, lift up your hands in your living room, and say, I praise you, Lord. Hey, I give you praise today, Lord. And you make the area the property that belongs to Judah. I praise you in the morning. I praise you in the evening. I praise you when the sun goes down. Wait a second. You thought that was shallow. That's not shallow. That's called taking the property. That's called taking the position. That's called taking dominion. trouble what'd you do i just began to praise and i took dominion over the area i just created judah everywhere i was i began to praise him because the lord sets the terms of the battle I just want to read the scripture. Now the Philistines gathered together their armies to battle and were gathered together at Shokoh, which belonged to Judah. <laughs> and they set up 
camp, they pitched between Shekoh and Azekah in a place called Ephes Demin. So not only are they setting up in a place that belongs to Judah, but they set up camp in a place called Ephes Demin, which means in Hebrew, and I quote, the boundary of blood drops, or more concisely, the bloodline. What? They were never going to get past the bloodline because no one can get past the bloodline. I'm praising him and I'm walking in the and the enemy cannot do anything because he's in the bloodline and I am protected. I'm preaching to all the imperfect people that have trouble and anxiety and fear and doubt and struggles at home and struggles with your finance and you're sick and you're ill and you and you question yourself and you second guess yourself all the time. I'm preaching to all of you. The imperfect. And I don't know how he did it. And I don't know why he did it. All I know is that when I was weak and low, the shepherd came running and said, Hey, I'll take this battle on. You just sit on the sidelines. I'll take it. I've got the authority. And the enemy, he set up camp in the wrong place because the Lord always sets the terms of the battle. Did you know that you were bought with the blood of the spotless lamb? Did you not know that? Has the enemy tried to convince you that you don't have authority over anything? Do you not know that the blood of the spotless lamb has covered your body, your mind, your life? Have you ever walked through your home and said, I plead the blood over all of my family, my children, my home? my health do you know what happened the Lord sets the terms of all the battle and the devil can't get through to you because what you've done is you've said I'm going to create the atmosphere and I've got the blood I lost a little something on the way and I've come to get it back and the Lord reminded me there was a great giant one day fighting against the armies of Israel and he challenged the people and the people were afraid and he said it's okay you've been afraid it's okay but I fought the battle there's been a single dual combat going on all this time and even when you don't know how to pray, all you have to do is begin to pray in the spirit. And I'm going to speak through you with groanings. And I'm going to make an intercession for you. I'm almost there. 1 Corinthians 15, 57. Keep standing. I'm not going to go through the chapter. Just It's a long chapter. The end of it is... It's about death. It's about mortality. It's about the overcoming power of the Spirit. 
There's uplifting verses, and then the verse prior to this one, it's a stark reality. And sin brought forth death. Sin. The prior verses ask the question, oh, death, where is thy sting? But brings us right back into the abyss of, of trouble. Sin brought forth death. It's the trouble with all of us. Because when we're born again of the water and spirit, we have this, this notion, in fact, it's an error, it's a fallacy, that we, we won't be tempted anymore. The Bible says every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Lust hath conceived to bring forth sin. When sin's finished, it brings forth death. Every man is tempted. There's temptation everywhere. It's not just sexual temptation. There's a lot of other temptations out there. The temptation of your pride. and Temptation of your things, material assets. Temptation of your position. Temptations that bring you away from the Lord. Every person's tempted. Everybody's tempted. Tempted to fit in. Tempted to stand out. Tempted even to recoil and somewhere fade in the background. Tempted with all kinds of things. The devil knows your, he knows your pitfalls. He's been working on the human fault line for a long time. Tempted. Every man is tempted when they're drawn away, drawn away, drawn away, drawn away. Here is sin. It's going to bring forth death. And then like in a moment, Paul just picks us back up and he says, but thanks be to God. But thanks be to God. Here comes that thankful spirit one more time. Thanks be to God. I'll tell you what, you, if, you, if you're going to tell me about the sickness and the trouble, the next words out of your mouth, you should say, but thanks be to God. If you want to tell me about your, about your losses and about your financial duress, you, you, the next statement out of your mouth ought to say, but thanks be to God. We're very good about complaining about telling everybody about our issues, but you ought to say after that, but thanks be to God, He gave me the victory. But somebody tell me, how did He give you the victory? He gave it through Jesus Christ. Uh oh. He, uh oh, this is going to hurt you. He didn't give it through you through the church. He didn't give it to you through the preacher. He didn't give it to you through tradition or your own goodness or your own consistency. I'm not telling you not to be consistent, but you can't be consistent enough to make it through the battle. There ain't nothing you can do. You can't be programmed enough to have the victory. But thanks be to God who gave us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. He is the great God. Here's the refreshing. The refreshing is that there was a battle that took place. But here's the new. The new is this. When you set the territory of praise and God sets the term of the blood, the battle is already over before it ever began. Here's the new. You spent so much time in array. You've worked so hard to make yourself look so good. You set up your tents and your battles and all your stuff and you carried a name. Maybe it wasn't your name. You carried a position. Maybe it was just given to you. You spent a lot of time in that and it really, it didn't matter that much. In fact, 
it was just a bunch of pomp and tradition and ritual because once the enemy parked himself in your place where you praise and once he decided to be in the line where the blood flows it was already done it was already over you're kowtowing in fear in your tent saying how am I going to get out of this don't you know don't you know the battle has already taken place it's already won and the shepherd is already running picking up the stone and the stone is going to hit the giant come on now everybody and he's going to carry you in his hands you got a shepherd you got an advocate with the father Jesus Christ the righteous you're covered with the blood and the only thing left for you to do is praise the only thing left for you to give thanks that's what you got to do you give thanks and you praise and you say thank you Lord in the middle of my trouble in the middle of my heartache when I don't know what to do Now watch, the array today is in consideration of how you look. How you look when you worship. If you're, if you're worried about how you're looking when you worship, that means you are stuck in array. Get out of it. It don't matter how you look when you're worshiping. What difference does it make? Wait. I know I know I'm a throwback I'm sorry I know I'm a throwback I remember the people used to roll on the floor and that's why they called us holy rollers come on I I remember when people would just dance and shout and run and jump they didn't care I grew up with a man brother Landers used to stand on his head and do headstands because he didn't know what else to do and everybody gets all on on it's uncouth. That, that is unordinary. What are you talking about? That's what. What are you talking about? You got so enamored with the array, you ain't do nothing. You won't do anything. You walk out of here fearful, filled with doubt, filled with skepticism because you kept yourself in array. Why don't you lose yourself and say, "I'm here to worship. I'm here to praise." Because he did it. I said he did it. What do you got to lose but just your image? I'm setting the territory. I'm calling it Judah. I'm setting the grounds. I'm calling it Judah. Judah. 